Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our series of expectations, which we talk about two players per episode, one from the offense, one from the defense with a local analyst. Joining me here today is Kyle Barber to talk about Tyler Linderbaum and Broderick Washington. Tyler, how you doing? I'm yeah, sorry. I'm doing well. <laughs> Kyle, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing well. It's uh it's a good start to the summer. I think we're finally going to get some w- decent weather. I know we were recording this a little bit in a delay, but uh yeah. you know, the summer is enjoyable and we just finished up some holidays, so I'm happy. Yeah, hor- horrible heat wave right now going into Baltimore. I, I don't know if uh, if you're okay with this or not. Hot, uh, I'm not real good with hot. But uh but anyway, we uh we just happened to get back from Africa. That's where we've been the last couple oh, of wow. weeks, and and it was cool there. We're right on the equator, and it's between uh, uh you know fifty eight and about seventy two degrees for pretty much the, the the whole time we were there. And there, it's about as cold as it gets um, uh, there. But anyway, in Kenya, so a lot of fun. Yeah, that's wild. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, anyway, uh, let's let's move on. And talk about Tyler Lindemann a little bit in terms of uh, of what's going on with him. He's entering his second season. Definitely had what I would call a plus rookie campaign. A lot of people, uh, you know, calling it even better than that. Uh, I would say the most important thing is that he's it's a great place to start for him in terms of of what he accomplished in this rookie year. Yeah, excellent rookie campaign. Um, showed up and became that first round center. And, and and set into an offense that needed an anchor at that position, needed somebody to be there for multiple seasons, and he, you know, showed up, played every just about every snap, I believe, and uh, and proved that he can be the guy. He can you know keep the ball safe, which was a, a problem all throughout the Ravens, the past, you know centers the past few seasons. And, in, and not only just doing so, but uh, was solid in his blocking, too. 
overall was a, a rather successful blocker. His run blocking was rather efficient. Uh, and, and he still has stuff to grow and develop, but there was nothing that was so critical that he became a, a you know a failing prospect at any spot. He just has places and areas to develop, which is an excitable trait among somebody that's already so talented. Yeah, I mean, I agree in, in, in large part there that there's a there's a um you know there's a there's a top end, top tier run blocker already there. He's come hundred percent as advertised in terms of the, the quickness, ability to get out to level two, which really helped. He's a great guy to to be on the front end of a combination block, meaning he's leaving and moving to level two. Uh size is not ideal, and obviously a lot of his success in the NFL is going to be determined on on how he's able to withstand larger men, um, both larger and longer, and we'll see in in the coming years. I think that that uh, you know that's obviously a lot we'll 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 talk about here today. Um, the snaps, I think you maybe mentioned it directly, but you were certainly referring to it. I think in terms of the ball was delivered terrifically well, uh, night and day, um, relative to Bozeman, who I thought you know not a bad center, but uh, you know this was a weakness of him was delivering kind of a twelve to six curveball snap. Linderbaum much more in terms of line drives, much fewer outside and high snaps and low snaps in particular also had given given uh, Jackson a lot of difficulty, but uh, snaps are on the money. And, uh, and it's something that's easy to kind of forget is how bad the situation was before Tyler got here. Yeah, that was something that in training camp in seasons past, that was something that, you know, journalists and reporters were keeping track of how many were occurring on any given day or week. And instead, this turned into how many occurred in the totality of training camp. And I went, oh, man, Tyler Linderbaum had his first bad snap. This went went errant. It's three and a half weeks into it. Uh, in the training camp and everybody was like, oh, wow, like, oh, this is something to be concerned about. I was like, this is the first bad snap in three, three and a half weeks. And uh, over the course of the season, I, I believe I remember one, maybe two that were that were uh, strugglesome. But, you know, that's far superior than one or two every couple games and in key situations, as we saw in seasons prior. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, it's so nice to have that cleaned up. Uh, Linderbaum, in terms of his actual play, you know, and I, you know, of course, I score offensive line play on a game by game basis. Uh, a lot of week to week variation in his game. By the way, that's not unusual. There's a lot of week to week variation in, in Kevin Zeitler. There's a lot of week to week variation in Ben Powers. I mean, uh, so there was for Tyler as well. And a lot, it, 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 it really spread the whole range. But one of the things that, that stood out about his play is he didn't really have any fall off the table, fall out of sight games and, and, you know, games that would fall into the low F range. He did have a couple of high F games, but there are a couple of games that they're sort of games where he's given trouble by bigger men. And uh, I, 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 that kind of consistency has real value where you never, your score never drops, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 points below the pass mark, you know, at, at, uh, at the position. So uh, in, in, from that standpoint, definitely very consistent for the season, um, I think, you know, there is a, a, a pretty strong difference between his run and pass blocking that we'll, we'll check into uh, over 2023. 
Yeah, that was the thing, you know, you've alluded to it a couple times is that he struggles with guys that have size on him. Uh, his worst games in pass blocking were, you know, his first game, which was against the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. They also He had struggles against the Giants. He's had struggles against Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh and Atlanta as well. I can't quite remember if uh, it was Grady Jarrett that did that with Atlanta. But nonetheless, that's with Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Vita Vea. Those are huge yes. guys, really talented pass rush capable defensive tackles that were able to cause a stir on somebody that is a smaller center and that's something that he has to develop and uh it's admirable enough that he's able to handle just about everybody else but those enormous big talented d tackles that are so few in the nfl i i think actually there's kind of a lot of them in the nfl is that you face them all the time whereas in college you you, you know he had, he had less more of a break from that yeah, he's he obviously he had a number of of things he did in college where which helped him deal with with larger with larger men with longer men uh, both, and those things aren't all going to work at the at the NFL level. The athletes are just better, and he's going to have to do more more to deal with them. The AFC North has traditionally had some very big men playing in the middle of defensive lines. You know, with starting with Haloti Nada here in Baltimore as, as being a guy who would have given Linderbaum fits, I, I, I think in terms of his size. Uh, but it's a, it's a, you know, here, here's what I would say about it. Almost every Ravens offensive lineman who I've looked at over the years has improved during their time after showing some initial value. And a lot of players didn't show that initial value in year one. Linderbaum was plugged in, played virtually every snap his first year. So you mentioned, I think he might have missed two snaps. I mean, Powers, I believe, was the only guy who played every snap in the in the uh, maybe in the entire league um, this last year. But anyway, he's the only guy on the Ravens who played every snap. And Linderbaum is a guy who um, you know compares favorably to a lot of the guys who who over the course of two or three years really became much better players. And I think that trajectory is available to Tyler because there's a lot of improvements still to make, obviously, as a pass blocker. And I think I think he possibly could do it. But I want to go through the, some of the names that, that the Ravens have drafted since 2000. And a lot of these guys fell in the era where I was scoring offensive line play. So I, I, I feel qualified to, to talk about the improvement in them. But you start with Edwin Mulatalo in 1999, Casey Robach, uh, Tony Pashos. Jason Brown, Chris Chester, Jerry Gaither, a guy taking the supplemental draft who became really good his second season and his third. Um, Yonda, Grubbs, Kalachi Semele, Ricky Wagner, Ryan Jensen. These are all guys who, you know, some of them were, were higher round picks, but they're not, they're not certainly not all that. A lot of these guys are mid-round guys. Um, Ronnie Stanley, a first-round guy. Jermaine Illuminor is a guy who got better and eventually got a starting role with the Patriots and with other teams. Bradley Bozeman. Orlando Brown and Ben Powers. It, it's incredible group for development. And you know, we 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 look at the Ravens and their ability to um, develop wide receivers, and we kind of scoff at it. And I think it's also occasionally time to have a little Thanksgiving on this and talk about how good they've been at developing offensive linemen. I think Linderbaum you know, certainly can make progress from where he was in this first year, and his starting point is fantastic. Yeah, undoubtedly what the Ravens have done with producing offensive line talent is among the NFL's best. You know, each time they draft a prospect, they turn him into a 
uh, depth piece, if not something greater. You know, and you're, you're talking about the, the draft picks, but they've also hit on the undrafted free agents at times. Patrick McCary comes to yep. mind for me right now. But overall, you know, you, you mentioned all those names and those guys go and, and either they remain with the Ravens and they produce consistently for seasons to come. Or you have guys that go around the NFL and make big money and, and have earned those paydays, as you've seen now with Powers, as you saw with Coleccio Semele, Ryan Jensen, the names that you mentioned. Wagner. Uh, yep. So in Rag, yeah, uh, Joe D'Alessandris and what he's done with the program and how he's turned it not into just building a, a, you know, a single season roster, but it becoming a full program for that team to consistently churn out talent and gain value for themselves both on the field and capital elsewhere if they have to trade or they get the compensatory picks from those guys signing contracts elsewhere. That's been a huge boost for this program and for the franchise writ large. Yeah, all all ways that the Ravens have gained. Ben Bredesen, a guy they drafted and traded before he'd really gotten any flight tanked out of the team. So there have been lots of ways they've extracted value from their ability to identify offensive line talent. I remember back to... Nick Easton, an undrafted guy they traded before he even played a snap with the Ravens in, in his first training camp. He uh, he got traded the 49ers. He lasted for a number of years in the NFL in terms of, uh, of hanging around. I would, though, not be being honest about the situation if I just handpicked the successes. There have been some failures, and I just want to point to them and, and kind of – there are some common threads in them I want to talk about. The first, the guys that did not improve um, – Terry was drafted and actually, you know, never really became a better player than he was. O'Neill Cousins comes to mind as a guy who did not improve. Ramon Harwood, uh, Gradkowski, Urschel honestly was at his best in his first season and really declined from there. So that was, you know, honestly a reversal of the usual path. And uh, Lewis and and Tyree Phillips, the other one who is the biggest elephant in the room. Was a guy I think they kind of screwed up his career themselves, but but I'm not I, I, I'm not sure exactly who to blame. Michael Orr, um, his career is very much a ski slope. Had his best year as a rookie. Uh, looked honestly like he could have been a Hall of Fame right tackle if he'd have stayed there. Between himself, his agent, and the um, careless attitude towards the game that Jared Gaither had, uh, he he. He got moved to left and to right tackle a couple of different times over the years, most notably during the Super Bowl run. He's moved back to right tackle to make room for for McKinney during the playoffs. Uh, But an odd career from Orr, and honestly one I thought was not fully maximized uh, within the Ravens. It's really the only one I could point to where an extraordinarily talented player who who didn't um, maximize what he brought to the field. Yeah, that's certainly the case for Orr. And uh, you going over Urschel uh, just reminds me of that was a that was a, a clear sign of a player want a, a, a personal conflict mm-hmm. and personal desires impacting with professional pursuits that clashed distinctly uh, with one another as he had pursuits of great skill in, in mathematics and in mm-hmm. a brilliant mind. And then there's also the uh, impact of literally playing football, which uh, is known to cause brain damage. And that was something that he was highly concerned at as a person. And he didn't know whether or not he wanted to be in football or didn't want to be in football. And there was struggles regarding that. And uh, ultimately, you know, he's off uh, working in mathematics nowadays and, and working in, in a field that, you know, is, is essentially the NFL of, of his field, uh, just not on a gridiron instead. 
Oh, good for him, and and I'm I'm glad he did. I know Urschel comes from a from a family that I think his his father was an academic as well and a mathematician. So it's uh, uh it seems to make sense. And that was really at the height of the fear of concussions. Um, and I'm not saying you know we take CTEs lightly at this point, but he uh, uh was was you know coming into the league at that point. Yeah, he was the guy that I, I heard uh, rumor of that uh, when he was going through and making plays and, and uh, after a particular game um, he, he suffered a head injury, I believe. And uh, you know, afterwards uh, a few months after like, how are you feeling? He's like, I'm, I'm pretty much a hundred percent. The only thing is uh, I can't go with my uh, partner, my significant other and play uh, chess in our heads against one another is what I heard because that's to the effect. That's how, you know, wise this individual was and he couldn't just play chess in his mind uh against his partner instead he was like struggling to do so but he said everything else was it so that was i assume part of the the intention of leaving football behind but i thought that was one of the most impressive things because uh so few individuals i know are able to play chess in their heads other than watching you know videos of grandmasters mm-hmm. on youtube doing so against players it was uh it was a uh, wild to hear somebody to have that ability yeah, it's 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 very apparent from his book that he he really loved to play games much more broadly than 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 just chess. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just something. There's something stigmatizing about playing games that I think he almost didn't want to admit in his book as much. But they, but there's a whole bunch of games apparently he was he was really into Splendor and other things. The games that you you, you might have heard of today and. The, the you know the, the entire next generation after me, and this probably means you, Kyle, because you're you're the next generation after me, grew up on Settlers of Catan and not Monopoly. You know, we, we the play people my name all know Monopoly, Risk. You know, all all those all those games that basically were around in the 1970s and into the 80s. The the people your age, I think, largely know Settlers of Catan and a bunch of other different games. You could probably tell me about. I think we started on Monopoly. I certainly started on Monopoly. That was always the the introductory game. And then in my late teens is when somebody's like, oh, you've never played Settlers? So I think I was a part of it. I just hadn't, I wasn't in the correct crowd originally. But yes, I certainly got to Settlers afterwards and, and have had my fair share of enjoyment at that table. <laughs> okay. I've, I've played Settlers of Catan, I think twice now. And that's both during the last three years. So, oh. so the, I've just you know, as a, as an older gentleman been, uh, been, uh, introduced to it. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about, um, one thing that'll come out is that, is that PFF has, uh, Tyler Lindemann ranked fairly highly among their centers. And one of the things that they do is to aggregate scores in a way that kind of hides some of that pass blocking weakness. Um, they do several things that, 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 are, are true. First of all, they, because they want to differentiate centers and centers don't generally give up a lot of total pressure events. They combine scores with a higher weight for run blocking than for pass blocking. And I have talked to various people at PF that they can't be, give me a good explanation of exactly why they do it. And it does not match up with any sort of leverage that I can find in it. I'm, so I don't beat on PFF about it. I like their model in general. I like to compare offensive linemen, but I would recommend people separate pass and run blocking scores for guards and centers in particular, because the aggregation of those scores follows a, a, a leverage 
weighting that I just don't agree with. So look at the passer and blocking scores separately. They're very good. They're looking at the same things that I'm looking at. They score it similarly. Um, they do that. The other thing they do is they underweight penalties. And so um, he was tied for sixth in the NFL in penalties. It's actually a weakness of his. So it's something he's really got to clean up going into 2023. But I, you know, I'm not bashing the PFF models. I just want to tell people, you know, what you're looking at when you see that isn't necessarily a great representation. You're better off looking at the individual pieces with regard to their model. And that was uh, something that, you know, if you wanted to get to the, the good year, great year, uh, that was on both of them is mm-hmm. a good year is just to have fewer penalties because, this, you know, he had six last season and, uh, and it's clear that, you know, maybe he missed another one or two that I think were pretty borderline when you're watching the games. He, he would get his hands uh, jammed into jerseys on, on these bigger guys like we were mm-hmm. talking about and uh, got away with a couple, it felt like, you know, and every offensive lineman gets away with a few. But uh, he was he was fighting in the trenches on some of them and, and losing. Uh, throughout points of uh, his rookie season. Uh, And something that I found intriguing that I wanted to mention about him is when we spoke to him during minicamp, he's coming back at the same weight. You know, I I thought he might want to be a little bit bigger. Uh, You know, that's just the expectation when he's 6'2", 305 pounds. And we asked him, like we asked just about everybody else, you know, are you wanting to play at a lighter weight or a heavier weight, depending upon what you're looking for, your advantages? And he said, no, I'm I'm still at 305. That's where I'm playing. And uh, I found that to be a bit curious because, you know, the Ravens are known for having bigger, heavier, stronger offensive linemen, but in uh, maybe in Munkin's system, they want to continue to have him at a, at a lighter weight. They like his speed and his agility. And if they add any more weight on his frame, it doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. And it'll just kind of decrease in those areas maybe, or fluctuate it to where he doesn't have the necessary ability that he's so good at, at 305. It's a, you know, there is an interesting choice and, and he would probably have to give up some quickness to put on any significant amount of weight. And, even if he did, if he put on 10 pounds, let's say, or, or 12 pounds, and, you know, you're pressing the limit of just how much he could do in terms of the weight room and, and add, you know, maybe over four years, he could put on 15 pounds or something, but, but he'll still be the same length. The length will still be an issue. So he needs to deal with first contact being initiated by that defensive player. And that that's where he, he needs, regardless of what weight he had, he still needs to figure that out, um, even if he's a little bit heavier. We did definitely see a lot in this first season. He's fourth overall by PFF in terms of run blocking out of 31 centers who had at least centers who had at least 679 snaps pass blocking. It was half of the highest total in the league. Mm-hmm. He's 29th out of 31 as a pass blocker. So it's, I'm not, you know, this is not a small problem. It really is something he, he, he needs to improve at. On the other hand, I think there's a great example in the league who would give hope of this. And, and it's one of the players he was comp to right in the draft. And that's Garrett Bradbury, who's, who's now played four years for the Vikings. But he had he was a, a, an early round, a first round draft pick who also extremely short armed, a lot of comps to, to uh, um, uh, Linderbaum. A lot of people said Linderbaum was better than Garrett Bradbury, but that's always what they say when a guy's already failed at the NFL level. So you, you, you kind of expect that. But Bradbury had three very difficult years in the NFL, much worse as a pass blocker than what Linderbaum just suffered through, even though Linderbaum was, was obviously not good in that in that respect. And he then broke out in his fourth year 
and it was pretty close to a league average pass blocker. It would be nice to see that kind of a trajectory for Tyler in terms of, of him being able, evenly or unevenly, to improve by as much as Garrett Bradbury did, given what a comp they, the, the two are for each other. Right. I had a question for you, Ken. Do you think part of it with the pass blocking struggles had to do with any sort of, uh, of scheme in regards to Roman? And do you think that Munkin's system could alleviate any of that? Or is it kind of cut and dry and he's he's struggling in this against you know players that are just longer than him and stronger than him in areas? Yeah, I think um, Munkin's system will make it worse. So here's really? why. Yes, because because there's going to be more pass plays for starters, so that's bad. Mm-hmm. But then there's there's another change going on that's a big one on the offensive line. Left guard is opening up. Whoever they get is not going to be as good a pass blocker as Ben Powers was. Ben Powers was excellent as a pass blocker, and also yeah. by the way, way underrated by PFF because the waiting for pass blocking and run blocking is not right, just in the other direction. Yep. And you see, so he was a guy who you know earned a huge contract from from Denver, and I think. There are two things about the positioning of Tyler Lindebaum that was just outstanding for his rookie year. One is playing behind two or next to two much larger men in terms of Zeitler and Powers. And I think he he would do well to have Cleveland be the guy for that reason, is that you know it's it's a much bigger man. The the the, the handoff of combination blocks uh, it really helps to have differences in physical type of the offensive lineman. So I think that he would he would benefit tremendously if he and, and uh, uh, Cleveland are working on combination blocks together, if he is Zeitler is already a, you know, a, a, a situation I think that will work. So, but that left guard situation is also going to create a lot of desire for other offensive defensive coordinators to try and run over that a gap on that side. And how they'll do it is they'll have players cross the face of Linderbaum or of the guard and crash into that gap. Well, if they're crashing into the shoulder of Linderbaum, that's exactly where he had a lot of trouble is picking up those stunts last year. And I think that that is it's it's now so obviously the weak point of the Ravens offensive line without powers that it it will become a bigger issue. So it's going to be a struggle. I think it actually will be a very steep learning curve for Tyler this year to try and hold up at the same level or hopefully a little better than he did last year as a pass blocker. Um, with with somebody of an unknown quality, uh, you know, playing left guard next to him, that makes a lot of sense. Um, right now, it feels like the the Ravens are locking into more John Simpson and mm-hmm. uh, Sala, the rookie mm-hmm. big Sala. Um, Simpson's six four, three twenty one, so he's got some decent size to him. Um, he's a, he's a big guy out there, so that could maybe do it. And I think uh, not to only be doom and gloom. That's a very good, like you gave astute points, of course, but just for your audience, I think one of the biggest perks that the Ravens do have that allows this to not be all nightmarish is just the dominance of Ronnie Stanley at left tackle is able to, you know, one-on-one just about anybody. And he's able to just be so good at left tackle that he doesn't often need a guard to shade over his side. And instead that frees up a left guard to, help out uh the center more because it, it, 
it, when two people are asking for help between Ronnie Stanley or Linderbaum with more frequency, it is most certainly not Stanley that is asking to get the extra help on the outside so much. So uh, that could be beneficial. Uh, but like you said, it's going to be a steep learning curve regardless. Uh, more pass plays solely on itself means that he's going to have more challenges to come uh, uh, for 2023 and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree on that. And and to your point about about Rodney Stanley, he is a terrific ball player. Most processing of this type moves inside out in terms of the look. That's something I really latched onto with with Ben Cleveland at Georgia was that he was a good and quick processor in that way. That he he, he started with his hand on the on the defensive tackle nose usually that's being blocked by the center, and he's looking. You know, looks to looks to level two, see if a blitz is coming. This is when a guard bubbles on that side. Looks to see if there's a stunt coming, and then moves over. And if he's if he can feel that the center has got that block taken one on one, then he moves over to the help block on the tackle. And if, even Ronnie Stanley against top guys is going to need some help. Uh, but but uh, uh, you know, it, it, there are differentiations, and you're absolutely right that Ronnie Stanley doesn't need as much help as say. The first half of 2018, we saw James Hurst needing help play after play after play when they had him inexplicably at right tackle in front of Orlando Brown uh, for about half a season. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, st- I'm still a little bitter about it. You can, you yeah, can hear it. that was a little bit something. <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about what's a good season, what's a great season for Tyler here. Uh, why don't you go first? Talk, tell me what a good season would look like to you. Yeah, a good season is remaining uh, talented in run blocking. You know, a lot of these times, you know, we simply talk about like, oh, they got to get better everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. no, he was really good. And just being able to s- remain at that threshold is a very good thing from Linderbaum because he was damn good at that last season, a rookie year. And he was already being able to be able to move, get into the second levels at times. You saw just how he was able to put people into the dirt, which was impressive. And just being able to remain at, at his ability in the run blocking game, I think would be more than enough in that regard. Uh, You talked about splitting up run blocking and pass blocking. And I think that's, you know, what you have to do with these good year, great years uh, penalties need to decrease. He had six could have been called for a few more, as I said. So I think you got to have those to a minimum, of course, uh, you know, three, four, you get a miscommunication, you snap the, you know, you don't you delay of game and it's on the center. One time you get a couple holds cause you're just going up against a guy bigger too. It's just going to happen, you know, in a 17 game season. Uh, it's, it's really hard to go penalty free when you are fighting a war in the trenches as many snaps as he did over a thousand last year, almost 1100 snaps last season. So uh, to a minimum is what I can say in that fairness um, pass blocking. It's gotta be like, a good year is to be, you know, top 20 as a center. And I know that's not great, but that's still nine spots higher than what he yeah. was as a center, which is not excitable, of course. But, you know, that's 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 good, especially if his volume and pass blocking is going to have to be skyrocketed so much. Like, of course, you want him to be top 16, I think. You know, that's ultimately where you need your players to perform is, you know, better than half the league. But even jumping nine spots and no longer being such a, a vulnerability, uh, I would say, is a good year 
out yeah. of uh, of Linderbaum. You know, this is so similar. I'm just going to read it verbatim because it's, it's very similar. But run blocking continues to be excellent despite fewer run snaps. So no, no difference there effectively. Here's the one thing I added. Does not allow the new left guard to drag down his play. So if the new left guard becomes a target for a gap, stunting and whatnot or blitzes through that gap that somebody's got to pick it up he can't he can't allow the fact that this left guard's not doing his job at a high level to impact his own play he needs to, and, he, and honestly he needs to pick up some of that for a, a left guard if if the ravens have a bad guy there they they're gonna have a less experienced guy there at the very minimum the other thing pass blocking improves to the third quartile i said which is exactly what you're saying you're saying he's not gonna be in the top half but he's gonna move up nine spots it's it's Perfect. If he's if he was, you know, the 35th to 40th percentile guy in the entire league um, this year, I, I think that would be a notable improvement. And with the increased number of passing snaps, I think it's very important that he make an improvement like that um, if he's going to take a real step forward in this year. It, it could be, you know, it could be this is a, a flat year, kind of a treading water year where he's about as good as he was as a rookie because general circumstances got more difficult. I don't even think that would be terrible by any means, but I think people might be a little bit frustrated if, if he has a similar year as a pass blocker, maybe not, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll be okay with it. And uh, I, I, your point about the penalties is good. I had a, I had a note of that in his great season. So why don't you take us into great and what that means to you? Great is if you, if he can improve on run blocking more than what he's already done. I mean, you saw at times just watching like like Brian Baldinger does the breakdown. So you of course have your breakdowns and and you know your fan base of course is tuning into that. But uh, you know like you've watched the clips and the highlights of that and to see more of them just bullying you know at the first line, getting to a linebacker, getting to a safety in the backfield is as he opens up on on fewer runs. That's what's to expectation this season. That's it. And and in pass blocking, if you can get to being a top sixteen guy um that's where i'm at top half of the league because you know anything more is superb but I, i'm not here to put outlandish expectations as top 16 center jumping up that many spots to show that you can be you know uh upper echelon in run blocking you can be superior to almost everybody at one area and you can be just as good as as most and another one still has you as one of the best centers in the nfl and uh, and the penalties, I'd say, if you can get uh, two, two or fewer would be would be a great year. Uh, just being able to avoid the uh, you know uh, anything unnecessary and and being disciplined, no longer being impacted by the noise. That was something that it seemed to have impacted Linderbaum, and he kind of talked about, I believe, in the mm-hmm. locker room sessions that we spoke to, saying just you know it's so loud and. And 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 John Harbaugh made a mention of just how uh, volatile some some uh, you know away stadiums were and the noise impacting you know uh, the rookies and I felt like he was you know encompassing Linderbaum more specifically with that just because of you know what the importance of his job specifically in his role so I think that would be a great year for me uh, yeah yeah those are those are um, you know pre snap penalties are annoying certainly to speak of, but if, when you look at pre-snap penalties, like compare a five yard false start or a five yard um, uh, late snap that causes a delay of game penalty, either, either of those is five yards at the only. Okay. 
The other side of the coin is like an IDP penalty, illegally downfield that, that, that occurs post-snap. Those penalties are a lot more serious. Even though they're also five yards, they give the, the defense the option of take the play or not. And, and so for that reason, I'm more lenient on pre-snap penalties. But uh, so if, if, if you, you know, three false starts, you know, combination with, with, with a delay of game penalty, whatever it is, that's fine. What I want to avoid is the holding calls. And I want to avoid the IDP calls that come with an RPO offense. Uh, you know, the Lamar, you know, not making it clear to anybody, including the offensive lineman, if he's holding the ball and throwing it, or if he's, if he's, uh, uh, you know, if they're free to release the Ravens got it. I think they have some work to clean that up generally in their offensive line play. The IDPs are, are a big risk for this team and they, they can end up stalling drives. So it's something they need to be, need to get better at. But I'll go through the great season stuff because I because I had a few things. First of all, I think that the most important thing for his great season is going to be that he helps assimilate a left guard into his position. So, you know, it's it's a each of them needs to 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 have this symbiotic relationship with the other. And if it's another big man, if it's if it's a Sala or if it's a Cleveland in particular. Um, those guys meet the standard of large in, uh, most assuredly. And it would be great if, uh, if he could work with either of them to probably improve their play, make sure they don't fall down in their past blocking responsibilities. And also that, that they help him, uh, to the degree he can to guard that a gap from becoming targeted time after time by opposing defensive coordinators. Um, I, I think, in terms of the run blocking, I, I don't need any improvement. I can just say continues to be discussed as one of the best run blockers in the league. I think in terms of pass blocking, he's got to find techniques to help reduce the loss of balance snaps versus larger and longer men. And that's one of the things you really notice on tape about Tyler is that when he loses a pass blocking rep, he's often on one foot up in the air because he's been hit very hard. And, and those loss of balance snaps – They've got to be reduced. And so whatever it takes to do that, whether it's more hand play, higher level of awareness of where that arm is coming in, um, an ability to change his angle relative to the arm, whatever it might be, um, he needs to find some ways. It, it, it's not working the way it is, and, and, and it's going to be a major point of his development to basically figure out what can work uh, in those cases. Reduced penalties is on my list. And I think – it would all be a very develop, a, a significant development from his rookie season. I still don't think, even if he has a great season, that he necessarily is in Pro Bowl um, level. There's some great centers in the league. Uh, they really stand out from the group in terms of Creed Humphrey and Travis Kelsey and whatnot. Um, he he might be in a position where in two or three years he, he would be on the um, Pro Bowl discussion. But right now, and, and I, he's not a he's not a with his current level of pass blocking and and where I think you know I would project his ceiling to be. I don't think he's really a candidate to be all pro. And I hope as a first round draft pick, the Ravens fans are going to let him off the hook on that and say you know it's it's okay if if he's if he makes one Pro Bowl in his career, I think that would be pretty terrific. I think it would be indicative of a very fine career where he got by a lot of his, his physical handicaps. I think that's reasonable. Um, it's hard to put that as, as an expectation or as, as putting that as the bar of success, because you know, there's, you want somebody to succeed and overcome so much more, mm -hmm. but what he's already done 
the talent he already brings to this. That's very admirable. Like you said, he could over the next four years at 15 pounds, but you're at what point are you, you know, getting diminishing returns in yep. terms of strength versus speed versus power. And, you know, it, he, he's just doesn't have the physical attributes uh, in terms of length and size, but he's, he's overcome so much already in his performance and, in, in, in play that uh, yeah, if he were to have one pro bowl, two maybe in a time where you know like the big name centers are already you know so entrenched uh you know we're expecting unless something bad happens to creed humphrey he's just going to get one every year uh, yep. name recognition plus his play you know plus his play. <laughs> not, take, not taking anything from him but name recognition is is certainly a part of the aspects of the pro bowl and uh playing for the chiefs in a time like this helps and him being a dominant center also doesn't do so badly either, but it's going to be hard to, uh, to really make a name for uh, himself. And, and, uh, and overall, I think that's a fair case to be made as badly as I want to argue against it. It's completely reasonable to say. All right. Well, outstanding. I, so both pretty optimistic. And, and this is one thing I feel like I I'm treated as being a polar outsider in terms of, thinking about Tyler Lindemann. The, the truth of the matter is I'm very optimistic about his future. I just, I don't want people to be overly optimistic about who the guy is. The player that I, I, that I kind of think, even though there are different stages in their career or whatnot for the Orioles who played was Mark Trumbo. Um, and there's been others, but maybe he's a good recent example of a guy just completely overrated by the Orioles fans who wasn't a particular good player, even when he had 47 home runs and led the American league. It's, and you know, it, projecting positives for the guy was 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 very difficult to do well in in one sense he's he's like that in another sense he's a young player who has a real chance to improve from who he is at this point it's just you, you know don't don't get caught up in you know some of the combined scoring that you'll see from pff in terms of how good he is already because i think that's an overstatement of where he is in terms of the game that's all the only caution i would give in that regard yeah, when you see a big name outlet, national outlet like PFF already say, you know, he's so superior to just about everybody, you know, there there are enough plays to point to and you turn on the film and there are areas of his game that there are still remaining to be developed. I think Hamilton is another case of that, that yes, Hamilton had a very good year once he figured out his role and once the Ravens figured out how to uh, operate him and use him best. But there were still certainly areas even down the stretch that he still needed to learn and develop. And you can see that on film, even though he was graded very highly, number one safety, he's dominant. There's a lot still remaining to develop there. And there was a lot of great, there's a lot of good. There's some bad in there too. And these are young players. They're both really young. And so you'll be able to see that development. But even at their current level, if, if, if Linderbaum continue to play that good and improve four or five, you know, up to nine spots, like I said, uh, if not this year, a couple years down, you know, that's still a, that's a solid career out of a center that, uh, you know, is expected to be a first round pick and has played thus far like one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 agree and would uh, really happy to see. I think it's one of the really exciting things to see just how much improvement there is. You mentioned the other thing on the defense. Boy, am I excited to see how the Ravens figure out how they're going to use Kyle Hamilton. He's, he's I, I, I've mentioned this on a couple of these pods, which is one of the nice things about doing this is you, you kind of let everybody get their chance to, to talk about various position groups by having this, this two player system. But, 
with in the case of Hamilton, I don't think they can afford to let the tail wag the dog and have decisions about Hamilton. Sorry, decisions about say the, the differentiation in play between say Geno Stone at safety and Pepe Williams at slot corner be a deciding factor in where you play Hamilton. The first thing the Ravens have to decide is where can we get superstar value out of Kyle Hamilton, whether that's at strong safety, slot corner, wherever they might choose to play. Some sort of hybrid role, obviously, either is also possible. But I think, honestly, they're probably going to have him play one position, multiple roles within the position, but one position. So we saw him play slot corner down the stretch. He was he was very good at it. Um, I think he brings a lot to that position that is different. You put up with some physical limitations. You get other physical outstanding attributes, including that hulking size underneath. And I'm just absolutely fascinating to see how McDonald uses him and develops him into a superstar. It, it would it would bother me tremendously if he's a multiple position shift guy like Michael Orr or Kamalai Correa or any of the guys who really got hurt by that. Um, and and I think that they that hopefully they'll find the find the spot and make him a star. That's exact. Kamalea Correa is exactly the player that I, that yep. comes to my mind a bit. Brandon Stevens is kind of that guy yes. right now that's dealing with it. That you jumping back him around. You want him at corner. You want him outside. You want him inside. You want to use him as a dimebacker. You want to use him up back. You know, as a back end safety now. And now you're going to switch him back. Like that's that's not. I don't know many areas that that is beneficial for a player to develop into a system. Um, you know, and that's me asking for how many guys can do that and, and just bounce around and be efficient and, and and move things. So overall, like Hamilton, we saw the greatest amount of value at him at slot corner, mm-hmm. and that's what I want to see. Yeah, I, and I, I I'm I'm for that as well, but I don't have to have it. And and there have been Ravens who've done very well playing multiple positions over their career. The, one of the first ones that comes to mind is Rod Woodson. Now, Rod Woodson is a Hall of Famer, and the fact that he could play corner well and then move to safety and be the, one of the great safeties in the league is not the kind of huge transition. It's a transition that, I'll, that a lot of players end up making. How about a Dallas Thomas? You put that guy anywhere on the football fan field, and he'd be a yeah. great player. And they moved him around from yeah. defensive line to defensive end to, in 2005, Adelis Thomas was part of a defense that played 265 snaps that year. That's, a, that's approximately one quarter of the season with three defensive backs. Oh, my God. And, and so Thomas and Scott were the two guys who were on the field and basically taking coverage responsibilities as a safety uh, during that year. In fact, there's a great moment. Remember that, that thing that was done on the Jets game in 2004 that has the Ed Reed interception where you, you have Herm Edwards on mic'd up that says, no, no, that's Ed Reed kind of thing, you know. Yep. That, that game, the Ravens had a big spate of cornerback injuries, and they, they pick up the phone call because they've got Nolan on one of these things where he calls down the sideline and calls up Bark Scott. He gets get, put Bart on the phone, and he says, I'm going to have to have you cover 83 on the next drive because we're out of cornerbacks. And basically he's moving Bart Scott to slot corner to cover Quebec. <laughs> so it was a, it was a, uh, it's a very cool moment on that. But that defense, it was still Nolan and I'm sorry, it was Ryan in 2005, but it was Nolan in 2004, uh, really had the ability to, to, uh, to make the most out of their players. I, I just, uh, as much as I hated what happened to the Ravens in the secondary in 2005, you got to love the versatility they showed with it. 
I mean, yeah, they, they talk about nothing but versatility now, so that's uh, that's something to uh, pursue in 2005 greatness in the worst way, but it made it sure exciting and unique. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Broderick Washington, uh, a, a player entering the year four after a fine third season, took a big step forward this last year, uh, You know, definitely a plus player across the board. You got two pretty good players, buddy. I'm thinking about this. A lot of people got got, you know, somebody good and somebody not so good, but you got two pretty good ones. Um, improved as a pass rusher, I thought. Uh, some good co- pocket compression, not not a lot of finishes himself personally, but one of the things that really shows up in our notes week after week is a um, involvement in plays by denying space, and that came as a pass rusher and a run defender. I love Broderick Washington. I think he's a great football player. I know, you know, he's not like this utter dominant, sheer dominant guy, but like, I just love watching Broderick Washington play football. I've been kind of like the the guy that's, you know, I, I support, he's a my guy kind of person. All right. And uh, he's always been a good person uh, in the locker rooms and he's answered the call when questions come abound and, and he shows a lot of emotion. And that's something that I enjoy just as a journalist, of course, is having somebody that's willing to talk to sure. reporters after a good or a bad game. And he's willing to do stuff like that, which is very noble. So uh, that's it. But talking about his stuff on the field and the 2022 season, yes, took a big step in, uh, in just his development and his play and his pass rush. Like you said, 17 total pressures at 13 hurries and and the area that uh we're probably going to talk a lot about uh in good year great year is is finishing like you mentioned didn't get a whole lot of finishes only notched one sack in the 2022 season but he was involved in enough that helped others get after the quarterback yeah it just wasn't him so maybe this is the time where uh the development shows up and, and he gets uh get quarterbacks down future but overall liked what he did uh you know he had some good run defense games as well i thought he played well in those roles but he was played a limited role uh Calais campbell you know took the uh the lion's share of snaps at uh you know among the defensive line and those that weren't for him, a lot of the time was Justin Matabike. He was this third, fourth guy. It would have been, you know, fourth or fifth, even if uh, if Michael Pierce had have stayed healthy. And then they rotated in Brent Urban, I believe, throughout mm-hmm. the course of the season. So I think the big thing is where are all those snaps from Calais Campbell going? Yes. And I think Broderick Washington is going to be the guy because, you know, uh, Campbell had big snap games. You know, he had snaps, you know, where it was, I believe he nearly had 60 snaps against uh against the patriots i don't think he had a game under 28 snaps and that's incredible you've you've hit on exactly the biggest question about the defensive line exactly i wonder if we could defer that till we talk about broader Washington a little bit because i think there's some some very interesting points about all the linemen that kind of go with how do they how do they fill those enormous shoes and there's another guy in in my opinion who snaps should be reduced. So we'll talk about that as we go through this. But in terms of of the role that Washington had this last year, he had really a first and second down role. And I I'll, I'll give it to you here. He he had 487 non-penalty snaps. And this is how I account for them. So if there's an accepted penalty on the play, it didn't count. But he had 239 first down snaps, 176 second down snaps. So right there that's 415 of his 47. Only 58 on third down and 14 on fourth down, which are going to be mostly short yardage. The point out of that is that there isn't a lot of opportunity to get off the pass, uh, get after the passer in an unrestrained way. So if if it's 
first or second down, typically maintaining rush lanes is going to be important. It's going to be important for, for you to be contributory, but you can't give up on the play as uh, you can't give up on the, the, the possibility of it being a run play right away in terms of, of what you're doing. So that naturally slows down pass rush. And that's why situational pass rushers can have so much more impact when they're, you know, they're in there situationally on, on, on third down when it's uh, or in points of the game where the other team is definitely going to pass. He's just not that guy. He's not the, not the guy that will be on. You have to sacrifice defensive linemen for starters at that point. Uh, two is the most you have on the field. The Ravens typically with the kick-in guys they've had have been more typically playing three outside linebackers and two linemen in such situations. And so Washington has a very limited number of chances. You mentioned Calais Campbell was a guy who got most of those opportunities. When I look at at his pass rush numbers and I see a, a not terribly say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The impressive overall pressure rate. I still say that's still a guy who I, I saw him contribute to the pass rush in a way that I thought was really positive. Yeah, that's where I really come away with it is, is he didn't have pristine opportunity to go after quarterbacks unabound, you know, like you said, uh, a lot of like overwhelming amounts of first and second down snaps. So he never really got this wonderful, hey, it's third and 13. 
you go after him. It's, hey, we need you off the field. We got to get our guys in for third. Right, that's exactly it. And, 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 it's on, and he's like, man, that's the fun part, I bet. You know, like, that's, that's why I want to be in for this. But it makes sense. So, uh, And will those snaps go to him? That's to be determined in, in a very curious part of what we will see for the 2023 season. That's something that a lot of people will be focusing in on. That's something to watch all through training camps and hear about through training camps is, is he in there on the third down rotation or who is in on third down rotation? rotation preseason you'll start to pay attention to that on depending upon how many starters or guys they keep on and off the field throughout preseasons now they're very you know a lot of teams are uh, risk averse in preseason as that thing starts to shift off and then the first quarter of the season and see if the changes happen throughout the course that's going to be a very exciting part of it uh but he he maintained rush lanes well he was a disciplined pass rusher. He was a disciplined, uh, excuse me, not pass rusher, uh, disciplined uh, run defender. I like the way that he he operated, and and he showed that he has more. I, I I really feel he demonstrated he can take on a bigger role, and he has developed far past being a fifth round guy for the Ravens and and into a role that you know, is, is, is admirable at the NFL level. Yeah. Well, one of the things we have not mentioned yet about his pass rush ability was he batted six passes. I think that led the team, but that's, that's a really good total for one season for an NFL defensive lineman. And you gotta be, it takes a lot of awareness to know exactly when to shoot your hands up and even taller players like Brent Urban, who, Basically, you know, one of the things he told me on the show was, you know, if I get my hand up, there's not going to be a quarterback who can generally throw over me. Mm-hmm. But he said a lot of a lot of quarterbacks, and I, I got a sense the timing was a part of this when he had his hand up a little bit early, were able to throw to either side of his arm. Oftentimes, between his head and his arm was an open area. And and Washington, the way I have seen it, is more quick about getting up and timing his leap more effectively to get those batted passes. And so that's been something that, that uh, really he's been very good at. And, and I think it was one of the really nice steps forward in this last year. If I had to pick one thing, that might have been it. Yeah, he actually he did lead the team uh, with six. Mm-hmm. The next was Jason Pierre-Paul with four. And then wow. Matt Abike had three uh, tied with Brent Urban, as you were mentioning. So uh, I found that to be rather curious. Okay, that's good. I, I I wasn't 100% sure of that, but but it was my recollection is going through the season. I want to talk about his run defense a little bit here. Um, he had 26 defensive wins. He contributed among 49 tackles. So some of those were on passes, some were on runs, but uh, a defensive win is describing is not keeping up with the sticks effectively on, on first down. You need to get at least four, uh, sorry, 45% of the total yards you need. So if it's first and 10, you need to get five yards. If it's first and 20, you need to get nine uh, so on second down, you have to get 60%. On third down, you have to get 100% of the yards. Any tackles that are short of that are defensive wins. So anyway, 26 defensive wins is 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 quite good. The other thing that's outstanding is a very low missed tackle rate. Now, defensive linemen tend to have lower missed tackle rates, but his was only 7%, and, and that's really exceptional. So he's he's has those kind of arms. He can extend them, get on a player, um, and uh, and not give up that grip is, uh, is extremely valuable. Yeah, you talk about um, uh, the the win rate is, mm-hmm. is what you're mentioning. Uh, PFF has their their stops. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he had 25, so that's that's rather impressive. And and he is a guy that when he gets you know his paws on you, he, it's it's over 
for for just about anybody in the NFL, and that was apparent uh, uh, throughout the course of the season. And and uh, I, I was a little interested in that because he has varying, you know, fluctuating uh, tackle grades from PFF that uh, I was curious about. He has like two grades that are they're like thirty, okay, and then the rest of them are all average. Let's take a moment because it's 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 all about interpreting that. The, the, those tackle yeah. grades jump all over the place, but you notice mm. for for most of the season they're very consistent. Basically, mm. that's all the games where he had no missed tackles, with okay. one exception. He has one missed tackle in Week Eight against Tampa. I think what they did is there. That's a missed tackle with a zero grade applied to that play. They have a, okay. a plus two to minus two that underlies every grade. In week two and three is when he accumulated all his missed tackles for the season. So again, two against Miami, one against New England, and his grades on those probably netted out to about minus one and a half each week, or maybe minus two um, for that. So that that's why that happens. So if you don't have missed tackles, you generally get a get a, a good score that looks green on the PFF chart. And uh, and that's the the reason for it. And you, it's very difficult to tell, by the way, how good a player is during the season because an individual game can contribute a lot of missed tackles to a, to yeah. season stats. And so you'll often see a guy who has a couple of red games and then he's red for the year or he's or he's you know a forty or something for the year, despite what it seems like. Wait a minute, all these greens are there. Well, that's okay. the reason. That it makes used, a lot more sense. They did a lot. They did a much better job of um, presenting the information when they gave you all the plus two and minus twos. And I, I've talked to them about that in terms of like bringing that back. They didn't want to get into that. They, they thought that they should be selling that for more was the ah. idea. So they, you know, they give that to the teams, obviously the individual grades by play. That's one of the things they're selling to, to the NFL teams, but they didn't want to give it to the general public in a very general subscription, which is why they basically brought, created these least common denominator packages um, yeah. that have this one to a hundred, uh, scale in. I, I hate it, but uh, yeah. but the to, to buy the increased package was like fifteen hundred dollars. So I I, yeah, I hated that thanks. worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about what we have here. Um, uh, played forty three percent of the snaps here. I thought one of the really good things, and I, I'm going to relate this to another Ravens linebacker, is that I don't think he uh, uh, lineman. I don't think he wore down over the course of the season is his play is fairly consistent in terms of of playing well from start to finish and the guy who did wear down a little bit and i think he needs to take less snaps this year for it is justin matabike and it's not really unexpected i think and i'm going to go to get matabike's percentage of snaps for the year here but matabike played over 59 percent of the snaps first of all that's a lot more Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was it led all Ravens defensive linemen, Campbell played 51%. Mm-hmm. To me, to my way of thinking, and, and as just watching the games, Matabike is on the field much too often on early downs. And that's where mm-hmm. the Ravens need guys like uh, Travis Jones, uh, Michael Pierce, and Broderick Washington to eat up those snaps and reduce Matabike's workload as much as possible on those early down, first half in particular drives and it doesn't mean he can never be on the field in those situations it's okay if once in a while every third series he's in there um probably does not need to start the game other than he wants to start on his resume you know as, mm-hmm. on his on this permanent record yeah but uh I, honestly matabike to be a more effective pass rusher i think he's gonna t- he's gonna need to take reduced run snaps 
I think that's an excellent point because uh, that's a guy that, you know, is heralded for being the pass rush interior defensive lineman that the Ravens really want. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're they're desiring more than ever now with, uh, you know, Calais Campbell elsewhere in in Atlanta. So uh, they're going to need somebody that can get after quarterbacks that's a fast uh, interior defensive lineman, not just the the juggernaut size speed combo of, of Michael Pierce, but somebody that is able to explode through and, and make an instant impact. And, and Matabike uh, has all for all purposes should be that guy. Yeah, it's, it's, I said I think that's the way it's going to turn out this year. But let's let's just discuss that for a minute. If, if the Ravens have their traditional kind of a four man front. And you can you can always bring extra guys up the line of scrimmage. Not talking about that. I'm talking about the four guys who are who are right. down at the line of scrimmage, typically on a passing down. In 2019, they would have done it with four outside linebackers at times. What I would call the race car package. Other people might call NASCAR or other things. In in the years since Campbell arrived, Campbell's generally been on the field with three or even four other outside linebackers, one of whom was left standing. Um, but they would, they would they would often do three with a kick in guy. This year, I think that that role is wide open. I think there there are three players legitimately who could be in there on passing downs. Matapiki would be my number one choice as the one guy, but they might need two if they you know if they don't have outside linebacker health holding up, uh, for instance, like like the problems last year. And then I think that it's possible the other guy I I really expect to have a pretty big role is Travis Jones. This year could be a guy who's on the field on passing downs, not even impossible that Michael Pierce would be out there. How, how do you, how would you really see that, you know, breaking out? I, I'm a guy that, you know, I, I want Travis Jones to succeed and he's going to have to take a bigger leap to be able to be that guy. Um, and uh, if you, and I'm impatient in my thought process and I think Michael Pierce should be, should be the number two guy personally. Um uh, for all uh, all the you know appreciation I have for Washington and the excitement th- that there is over Jones, Michael Pierce is is an adept pass rusher. Mm-hmm. You know he's done that's how he's made money in the NFL uh, is through his pass rush numbers and his ability. I mean you know he was graded as one of the best pass rushers among interior defensive linemen before he suffered the injury, and then it was really awkward because halfway through the league, halfway through the year, you kept having to you know organize by snaps to get him out of there because it's like <laughs> he, he hasn't played in four or five weeks. And he was still one of the highest graded pass rushers when I was looking things over because he was just so dominant in his, in his few snaps. I think he's really good pass rusher. And, uh, and, and I think it would for me be even possibly Pierce Matabike, but I want, I want Matabike to be number one because he needs to get to that role for Matabike. That needs to be him on third down that's the guy that should be stepping up the most. He's the young guy. He's he, he he's he can be the most impactful if he can set up. He looks ready for the year. I don't know if you saw the recent photo of him. He's absolutely shredded, carved of granite. More more than season. he was before because he's yeah, it's insane. Rock. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, no. I saw it. Yeah, no. It's on. I, I tweeted out from the Baltimore Beatdown account. He just carved of granite, and mm. uh, he's he looks primed for that season, just like he looked last year. But like you said, he had too much on his plate last year, and he wore down. And that's a really good point. But uh, overall, I have I have it as Matabike, Pierce. I want it to be Broderick Washington just because I have some, an affinity for him. But Travis Jones probably should be that guy too. And and uh, uh, you know I think those two will contest for it uh, throughout. And that's an area I 
bet we see rotation from those last two guys because the Ravens want to see who's going to step up. They very much love to do stuff like that, it feels like. Right. It, it, it's, it's certainly a possibility. And I think they, they Ajabo and Owe are so important to this defense. Both are rush side linebackers. I think you still – you don't have to. You can put two rush guys in on third down if you want to, but I think it, you, you, you signal something to the offense in doing that, and I think the Ravens have done very well in keeping a player like Bowser on the field who can drop, he can rush, he can loop uh, towards the center of the line. He can drop off the line and pick his gap. Um, I think they've just they've gotten a lot of value out of, out of him. I, one of the real questions for the Ravens this year is how are they going to – get through all the snaps with their current dearth of guys who can truly play Sam linebacker, who can drop it all to cover and, and, and can play mm-hmm. on that side. John Harbaugh had kind of a careless comment about it last year saying that um, these guys are all outside linebackers. They can play that if needed. And, and honestly, it kind of ruined um, always second year in the league, really set him back to have to do the things he had to do on that, on that Sam side while Bowser mm-hmm. was hurt early on. And then he moved, he moved back to the other side, and honestly, from a pressure perspective, not necessarily from a finishing perspective. From a pressure perspective, I thought he had a pretty damn good year after he got rid of those uh, the, the Sam responsibilities and the, the need to be on the field for so many damn snaps because the Ravens just couldn't keep two outside linebackers standing for much of the early season. Yeah, I, I'm a guy that'll go to bat for Odafe Owe. Um, I, you know, I was there all last season, and I saw him – be one of the final guys off the field or the last guy off the field every practice, every training camp. That guy works so hard, and Ravens fans want him to immediately be this 12-sack guy when he didn't get the opportunity to do that because of the responsibilities and because of the snap counts that he had. And like you said, the outside linebacker health last year was absolutely crazy to begin the year. They brought in Justin Houston. He had like, what, 60 snaps game one? Or was it uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, excuse me? Yeah. They brought in JPP, and all of a sudden he's got a 55-snap game You know, on, on a short week. It was crazy. Just the, the level of difficulty that you know, a young linebacker like that had uh, was was a little ultimately too challenging. And like you said, when he got back into his normal role and uh, from a pressure perspective, he was so close on so many. And I talked to him about that. And we all asked him during this year's training camp on on just what that meant to him and, and how he learned from it and how he felt about it. And, you know, he, he was like, you know, I watched the film and I said, damn. Uh, you know, just frustrated that he was so close. And, and that's something that I, uh, I like think one of the best hires for the Ravens this offseason was was outside linebackers coach Chuck Smith. Yep. Because if you can get an extra half second for OA, that difference is monumental. You know, a half second in the NFL is everything. A half step is everything. And that's what it felt like it was for OA is, is I mean, he was probably a half step from a five 10 sack season. It truly felt that way. You know, maybe I'm exacerbating it a little bit, but I remember watching and tweeting just about every game with OA. Joe was almost there. Oh, mm-hmm. was so close. Oh man. Oh, almost had him. He just barely missed it. And that was something that was so frequent. And this is a season that OA could no longer have to have that title to him. Position coaches are pure gold when they're good. And, you know, the Ravens, obviously, with Dallas Andrus, as we mentioned earlier in this show, have really benefited. I don't even know if Dallas Andrus is a scheme guy. I don't even know if he, you know, draws up Roman's offense on a board and can tell you exactly how it works and whatnot. He probably can. But I tell you, you know, where we observe him is at practice, 
with painstaking footwork <laughs> and hand placement uh, drilling. And it's really old school. We've talked about this before on the show, I know, but but it's, it's it bears repeating. It's just he he uh, he will sit there and go in and take the place of the lineman and then actually make the steps, kind of put his hands out there. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, you, you hear him talk about things. And I remember Orlando Brown challenging him once. And uh, he he. He said he okay. The, the thing had to do with hand placement of a certain type, and how it came out of Dallas Anders' mouth is when Orlando Brown says, well, "What did I do wrong in that rep?" He goes, "He goes, you're slapping at him. You're slapping at him." Like that. It's just, it's just, it was one of these things that that you know it was part of the spiel he'd given. But there were a lot of words spoken. Obviously, he's a he's an outstanding technical offensive line coach, and and the litany of players that the Ravens have developed uh, over the past decade or so uh, really speaks to, to, to his contributions. And if they can find another kind of skill coach in Chuck Smith to develop yeah. these young outside linebackers, that'll really put it together for them and for the defensive linemen. You know, he's going to be working with them in some capacity, working on their pass rush moves. That's what he talks about so much is everybody needs to have a pass rush move. They need to have something that they can go to go in their bag and take that weapon out and swing on it, club on it, rip on it, swim, bull rush, mm-hmm. whatever it so is and and be effective with it and that's what we're going to hopefully see out of every single pass rusher which is probably going to include broderick washington in some capacity yeah that's a that's a good point too and whatever i first of all whoever he can teach to do something better it's it's always a positive thing i i, I want to go back to adafi away for a minute even though we're not talking about away on this show or he's not the focus of this away um the problem with me to him is is get off and and honestly he does not put the fear of his athleticism into the opponent. I, I, I've always been thinking there's got to be a way to train on this. There's got to be a machine that could improve his get off by making him do hundreds, if not probably hundreds would do it of, of reps against the machine to improve that get off. And I, I, if, if he could start with that and then get Chuck Smith helping him with the counter move, what I've said since he, since he joined the league is there is no tackle he will ever face who is the athlete he is. So everyone across the line, every left tackle should basically have a shaky kind of look to them as they're lining up opposite a tough AOA, yep. even in a true patch set. Yep. And <laughs> go ahead. It, yeah, he's he's just a, a, a true weapon and, and he's so big, so fast. The, the athleticism is, as you said, off the charts. And another knock, you know, the knock that you have is is his get off. And I agree. The bigger one that I had is he didn't have moves it didn't feel like he had real moves to attack with and be on the offensive and that doesn't threaten your your opposition which is what you're saying is is he never was able to put them on a, a back foot mentally or literally to uh to attack yeah there's there's i i think he may have those it's just they're they're, they're not effective and, and we haven't really seen a whole lot he's stunted a little bit and been very quick much too quick for defenses and so we've seen some of that but he needs he needs a two stage move to get home a spin move a euro step some sort of dipsy do cross chop whatever I mean it, but it, it, cross chop is really a one step move I'm looking for a a two step I'm going this way and then I'm going that way move something that a, you know a pass rush plan uh, they would talk about euro step and and spin move or two that would fit him perfectly in terms of yes. beating a guy to the inside after showing an outside move. And there ain't any left tackle who could take a first move from a triggered up 
Odafe Owe, who's quick off the line of scrimmage and not overreact to it because he's just too great an athlete for, for, for them not to overreact to his initial move that they see him making. I think when, he, when that comes together for him, he's going to be an unbelievable pass rusher in this league. That's something that, you know, we were talking to Chuck Smith uh, also throughout training camp and, uh, and, and OTAs, excuse me, OTAs and, and mini camp, not training camp yet. Um, and he talked so much about all these great pass rushers and their, you know, signature pass rush move. And he kept talking about the spin and whether or not he's hinting at something or foreshadowing mm-hmm. or not. I certainly hope it is because a spin move from Adafi Owe with his length and strength and speed is a nightmare. You know, he talked about Max Crosby's spin move and Dwight Freeney's spin move. And Von Miller's got one, too, you know, that he can do. And if if you can get Owe, who's just a, you know, a true athlete. We keep using that word because I don't know many, you know, few that can embody that term more than Owe. Uh, and you can get him to explode through and triggered up as brilliantly worded. Uh, that's That's a guy that's lethal on a football field. All right. Outstanding. I mean, it's, I, I just, I love the excitement level, whatever you're on the show, really appreciate having you on, on here. Um, you know, obviously I want to talk a little bit before we get back to, to some of the how snaps will be divided thing about what's happening in 24 and beyond. Cause right now the Ravens only have Travis Jones signed on the defensive line. I was actually mighty surprised that the Ravens didn't try and sign one of Matabike or Washington who are entering year four to an early deal. And by the way, this is a situation where the Ravens dollars to spend are obviously limited, but one of those two, I would think would be eager to take a risk reducing, which means also somewhat team friendly deal that would be priced at a level, you know, that, that basically has a divisible benefit on the table. Risk is out, but you also get paid now kind of thing. Uh, Chuck Clark did it, you know, Patrick Ricard did it. Other, other Ravens who've been good have done it. Uh, those two guys are at different levels, which honestly makes the job a little easier because you might say, I'd rather have, um, uh, Broderick Washington at 4.5 million for year for three years, or maybe I'd rather have Matt Abike at 7.5 million for three years, or, yeah. or maybe it's even a little higher than that, uh, to tack on to the end of this season. But I'm really surprised the Ravens have not made a, a progress in that way because it's basically putting them in a the position of having to rebuild that defensive line again. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think had the Ravens probably approached one and or both of them, like I, like we're, I would assume they've had some introductory talks. I'm willing to, to venture that both of those players see the absence of snaps uh, and the availability that we're going to get to, and they're going to see that as their prime opportunity mm-hmm. to ev- every sack is is just how much more money you know in the grand scope of the NFL. All of a sudden, you get you get four sacks in a season, and it feels like your contract goes up by you know 500k with each one or 250k with each one annually on a deal. And and instead going in with Washington being like, Hey, yeah, I I played really well. You guys saw my run numbers. You saw my grades. I I was a good pass rusher. I, I, you know, I contributed like, well, you only have one sack, you know, and I know this is devaluing the conversation, you know, a Mm -hmm. bit, but uh, you know, to a semantics, but overall, if he can approach and be like, see, when you put me in that bigger role after Calais is gone and somebody needed to fill those snaps and I stepped up, and I had I had four and a half this year because I was finally able to get to the ones that 
you know, I got to the, the third down snaps. You finally guys, you had to give somebody and I got them and I showed you, I can do something with them. My pressures are now up instead of 13 hurries. I had 24, you know, so, so much opportunity lies ahead for both of those guys. And I would be willing to bet that is why we haven't seen a deal because you know, Broderick, you know, a fifth round guy wants to get paid good money and maximizing it. I don't blame. Yes, the 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 risk averse nature, like you said, of signing early. Yeah, you might not get as much, but it's still millions of dollars. And you, you've you been on a rookie deal that doesn't pay you all too much if you're mm-hmm. if you're either guy. You know, they were you know, they weren't first rounders. So overall, I think just the opportunity that lies ahead for both of them is possibly why we haven't seen a deal out of either yet. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong about that, by the way. And I think I think you stated it very well um, with the opportunity there that, you know, they, they may be getting advice to basically, you know, this is not the time to, to take less. This is the time to try and maximize uh, what you're going to get out of this. It wouldn't surprise me if those discussions have happened with their people. And, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of, uh, of of what's going on. So it's it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, I I still I really love the way the Ravens attack divisible benefit contracts like this. And I think that there, there are lots of reasons to really try and go after them. I I don't know if they got distracted by the obvious need to deal with Lamar, deal with some of these horrible void year contracts they've got now, which are basically eliminate 2024 money without producing any 2024 con, you know, uh, uh, player value. And they've said, no, I don't know if we can we can really even get one more um, one third or one half a cornerstone contract additionally to give one of these guys. Um, It's it's just it's a it's it's a tough situation, probably for both sides to figure out how to do this. And, you know, the Ravens do always think in terms of comp picks as well. And these guys probably will end up each. Uh, providing one if they both end up walking at the end of this year. So not an ideal situation, but uh, but definitely a possibility. I feel like they're going to hang on to the guy that just that doesn't outperform a number. If, if Matabike gets seven and a half sacks, you know, and, and start going he's on a gone. pressure tear, he's gone. There's just yeah. you can't afford that. No chance about it. But if Broderick goes in, not you know, gets three and a half, maybe four and a half, you know, that's affordability. Um, and that, or if, you know, you know, God, God forbid one of them goes down with injury. Suddenly it's a, it's, it's very neutral deal, um, as, as well in that opportunity. That's the cautionary tale right there is Mm -hmm. when somebody goes down with injury and, and there's a defensive lineman right now in that same room who basically went through the injury at the most inopportune time. That's Brent Urban. Mm -hmm. And, and he ended up losing a fair amount of career earnings because of the timing of that injury. He's he's very level-headed about it in terms of my discussions yeah. with him, but uh, you know, he was in position where he could have gotten, you know, four years, 26 million or something uh, oh, yeah. out of his, out of his contract. And then it just didn't, it, it obviously didn't work out with the injury uh, came back to the Ravens. But you know, when the, when the other, when the team is offering to take some of that risk off the tables, they did with Clark and Ricard and, and, uh, and get a, get a deal done of that type. There is usually merit to it. And, and I think, yeah. I hope there's representation there for both those guys that would be able to look at that and say, you know what, you need to balance A and B. Do you really, yeah. do you like living in Baltimore? Do you like playing with this touching staff? Do you like this? I mean, weigh all those factors, make yourself a pros and cons list and try and figure out if you should take a little bit less money than you think you're worth to take this risk off the table. 
No doubt about it. There's 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 certainly wins and losses on both both cases, and and there's countless guys you can point to that have won and lost on both sides of those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Okay, so let's let's say Joe Flacco, you know, certainly one pick. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about uh, the, the filling in for the Campbell loss because it is really the biggest question on this defensive line. And um, last year. I should have this. I do. I, I just got to get to it here. Give me a second. So the Ravens have had been a team that typically played less, slightly less than two defensive linemen per play. So if you think about it, when they play nickel, uh, they've got two exactly on the field. So that's kind of a neutral play, if you want to call it. But when they're in pass rushing downs, they'll often play one or even zero at sometimes in the past. And if they're if they're in um, base package, they play three. So usually those are the choices, one, two, or three. Sometimes you'll play four because you, you're in a fourth and one or a third and one kind of situation. But last year, the Ravens played 2.22 defensive linemen per play. That's a high total, and I actually expect that to come down. And if you think about it, that's the sum of the percentage of snaps that each of the linemen played. Gets you to two, 222%. Uh, so if if you're going to figure out how that gets divided, the first thing I'd say is I'd expect because the Ravens have their outside linebackers healthy now and, you know, knock on wood, they have them, you know, starting the season and throughout the season, they hopefully can reduce that number to 210% or 205% mm-hmm. to reflect the, uh, the inclusion of outside linebackers on those passing downs. It was obvious yeah. passing downs, but that's still, it, to my mind, that's an average of 42% spread across five guys that's a hard number to get to very hard number to get to with this group yeah that's a lot of snaps but i think the ravens are desperately wanting to get a jabo and oa on the on the field and bowser they they love when they can use him as that versatile linebacker that he's heralded as, you know, the guy that can do things. And no, I don't think he can get all three on the field, uh, you know, consistently, of course. But uh, I think just having two young outside linebackers that they're able to give so many more snaps to is going to be an opportunity. But but <laughs> that that's so many snaps to try and cover and and get get across. I don't think that's that's going to be really challenging to do so uh you know unless they unless they're doing their jobs in in pass rush situations and getting three maybe four guys there i don't know it's it's a it, it definitely will be a challenge to get it done uh, Brent Urban may have to play a few more run snaps but the the package that i think could could get some snap eating done i don't know how much they're going to be willing to do this but i really want to see a, an uptick in Travis Jones snaps and it, it's a he's a natural um, nose tackle, but he's also a very, very natural three tech. And so yes. the Ravens have two needs they need to fulfill. They need to get Travis Jones on the field more. And they need to get, in my mind, get Justin Matabike off the field more. Uh-huh. The natural way to do that is to, is to play the one three of Pierce and Jones, where Jones get, gets to play opposite a guard. Jones is a devastating one-on-one player. Uh, you know, if, if you look at where he had problems this last year, you know, getting stood up by two offensive linemen is something, first of all, it happens all the time to everybody, not, yeah. not just rookies, but, um, but you know, he's, he's vulnerable to that. I'll say mm-hmm. put him one-on-one against virtually any guard in this league. And he's, he, he's a brutal force. And that's what we really saw at UConn was his ability to do 
um, that effectively was was what made him a higher round NFL draft pick. I, I really hope that that they'll do that again this year and really try and see what he could provide at that place. Pierce is a fine nose tackle um, who, when Brandon Williams and he were on the field together, it was Brandon Williams at the three and Pierce at the nose. That's a devastating group as well. Would love to replicate that. Um, you know, in terms of, of, of a run defense that the Ravens would present on early downs uh, this year. Yeah, you got to include Travis Jones. And that was something that I, I actually had down was that Travis Jones is, is a guy that needs to make a leap that'll benefit just for the total snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wrote most things about Broderick, but that is an area that if we're going to divide, like if you have to divide these snaps up, Matabike's got to be cut down on his and you've got to be able to replace that with a guy that you drafted last year that was supposed to do so good and be on the field more and and dominate. And you saw it in small bursts, which is okay from a, a rookie. You know, he's a third rounder, so it took a little bit, you know, it took a little bit too much time, I think, just for year one to like really settle in on. But that's an area that if you can get him one on one, like you said, with with just a guard instead of, you know, and having a healthy Michael Pierce will do so much good stuff for this entire defensive line in terms of, uh, of, of assignments that offensive linemen will have to carry out. Um, that's the that's the best way to go about it. Yeah. Well, looking forward to it and hoping that's certainly something the Ravens go to. Let's move on and go ahead and talk about what is a good year and a great year for, for Broderick Washington here. Yeah, good year, I, I'd say, is actually uh, uh, cont- not just continue. I think he does need to elevate himself a bit more in um, in regards with uh, run defense. Um, you know, continue the tackling rate, as you mentioned. Uh, if you can keep at that 7% level and and minimize missed tackles, that's, that's I think, a good year in itself. Um, and, and I would like to see better pressure numbers uh overall his snaps need to be increased it doesn't need to be at this massive amount um but uh snaps overall um i'm a little bit erratic apologies um snap numbers need to be uh able to shoulder a greater load uh both in run defense but also i would like to see him on the field on third down some situational stuff um third and shorts i think are still an area that they're going to want him on the pitch for because that's not a guaranteed passing down, but it's still an opportunity for him to do a little bit more uh, damage and, and, and be included on more. Okay. I think based on what I heard there, I, th- I think I'm setting the bar a little lower for him for a good season. First of all, I, th- I thought his season was just outstanding, a huge leap. Mm-hmm. There may be a consolidation required this year, but yeah. I, I hear a couple things. I want him to have a pro rata increase in snaps. Why, why am I saying that? I think the Ravens will play more defensive snaps this year because of the way they're going to play offense. They're going to play a faster, looser offense. The Roman offense chewed up the clock, reduced the number of total drives. And now you you know, basically you're going to take more drives yourself. You're going to get more opportunities for big plays and scores and whatnot, but you're also going to give more to your opponents. And that's going to put a burden on the defense that is going to be in the form of an increased snap count. So I think if, if he could just play, continue at 43% and and uh, take an increased snap burden because of that, which might be as much as 10 or 12% that would accrue just from the increase in snaps overall defensively, I think that would be terrific. Um, I, I think he already is a pretty much a plus run defender. If he continues where he is there, that's fantastic. And I think it's still a good season if he continues what he did as a pass rusher, including the batted passes. So he's got he's got 
contributions coming in the form of both the pressure that lead to a lot of second man sacks, but also in terms of those batted passes and the opportunities those create. I don't think any of those were turned into interceptions this last year, but those are coming. If, if there are six per year, there's going to be some interceptions that accrue from that. I think one of them was, I think it was the one that Jason Pierre Paul intercepted. That was urban. Oh, it was urban. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Broderick. Dang. I'll make sure. I'll, right. I'll go back and make sure, but we'll look, I we'll look it was after Broderick, the show. I, I thought I asked him about it because um, I saw him at, at Clay's Campbell's uh, Thanksgiving drive, and I was like, "Did you?" I, I think I asked him that. I'm I'm trying to replay it because I was walking out to the parking lot with him after after the event, and I asked him. I was like, "Did you bat that thing intentionally towards him?" He's like, "I was like swinging. I, I kind of saw him, but you know, I was just kind of. I think that was. I think that was Washington." Looking it up um, if, right if now. Not, if <laughs> not, you know, he hustled me, and good for him. Um, yeah, please look it up on that because yeah, I felt like that this. was a, a nice broadie swat, but it could have been Urban. I mean, Urban had three, I believe. Broderick uh, Washington had two passes defensed in that game, yeah. and Urban had none, so I think you're correct. <sighs> oh, man. Uh, he would have hustled you, boy, if that was true. Uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> try to find the actual play now here. Uh, okay, I, I I think you're 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 right for sure, but that's great, and uh, and I, that, cool. that I, corrects a thought I had. So that's good news. I fixed. I wasn't sure if I, I had implanted a memory on my own self. I was like, I thought I asked him about that. Maybe I didn't, and I thought I did. But okay, yeah, um, good deal on that. All right. No, it's I, I, it's certainly a big a big part of what he contributes. So. Uh, my good season anyway, kind of a lower bar because I think he was so good in terms of his of his uh, uh, work this last year. So 43% season again, which will mean instead of approximately 500 snaps, it well could mean 545 to 560 snaps uh, would be exceptionally good. I think that's reasonable enough. Um, it, maybe I have a little bit higher of expectations on, on Washington. Like you said, I, I, I put a, a little bit higher of a bar and I think that's probably because I, I, I think I have a bit of a rooting interest to be quite honest on, on this guy. And um, I didn't also take into the account of just how much he developed last season um, as, as you did. Um, uh, and that's a respect to you, not me. Uh, that's me maybe uh, forgetting that, you know, he's already gone so far and, and maybe another incredible leap is, uh, is a little outlandish. Hold on, I'm looking at this Tampa Bay game. There was no interception by Jason Pierre-Paul in this game. So Ooh. wasn't it New Orleans that that, that that game that that happened in? We're checking this. You just are going <laughs> to wait on and listen to us check this out because that's what I really remember this being Brett Urban. So we're going to go back to this. Okay, <laughs> I can tell I can tell a Broderick Washington story while you look it up. <laughs> yes, so please do. Um, yeah, after the uh, the Steelers game where the Ravens where the Ravens lost and and uh, I think it was Najee Harris ran for over 100 yards and and the run game was really the weak point of the Ravens defense and because of that they they lost and and uh, and I walked into that was the first loss at the stadium that I saw too um, after getting my credentials and uh, go inside and and we're walking around the locker room and everybody's getting dressed or half of them are, all, are already gone and Washington as uh, you know sitting in his locker still in pads it's been 30 35 minutes after the game staring 2000 you know thousand yard stare directly into the wall and mm-hmm. 
And uh, this is my first year of like doing in-game coverage and, and getting credentials for uh, attending games and being at the stadium uh, beforehand. I was getting a credential to everything except game day, which was uh, uh, how things were operating. But got game day credentials. And and uh, so I'd never approach somebody post-game uh, as the first guy. I'd always like follow in and filter in as a, as a younger mm-hmm. reporter in that. And uh, this was the first time. And I was like, he's still staring at the wall. 35 minutes go by, 40 minutes go by. I wrote about this. It's it's on my game uh, coverage of that game. And then Kevin Zeitler is the first one to step up. He's the veteran guy. He answers, you know, the media's got questions. He's got to answer it. And they talk about the loss and the frustration and what it meant. And 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 Broderick's uh, staring off. And, um, and I walk over. Excuse me. I walked over to Broderick before uh, Zeitler. I walked over and I'm like, Hey, hey, Broderick, um, are you willing to talk? And he, he looks up, you know, finally br- snaps at him. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to need a minute, man. All right. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> and I'm like, all right, I understand. Uh, he's like, I'll talk to you. Just I can't yet. And I was like, all right. And so then we talked to Zeitler and I and we finish up with Zeitler and I turn over and I look and he just like gives me this nod like. Like he's ready. All right. <laughs> all right. Like, let's let's rip this bandaid off and so we go over there and this is my first time like being the guy to say like hey can we speak to you so i got questions first like they, like reporters like you're the one that had the bravery to talk to him so you go off and and so i asked my first question i was like broderick we can see the emotions on your face right now what's going through your mind he's like i'm pissed i i'm just this is all on and like he's expressing himself and clayus is one locker over and all six eight of clayus's frame is standing up and waving his hands down like calm yourself calm yourself <laughs> You got to settle down. And Broderick goes from being like ready to just be very uh, illustrious in his frustrations and and how hard he's taking this loss. And it kind of cools it off. But he let he let us see the simmer. It didn't overboil. And that was something that I will forever like be respectful and appreciative of because, you know, uh, win or loss, good or bad, like any commentary is good when you say nothing when you just like yeah it was a football game you know I, yeah. I like what we did out there it's nothing for for substance for what we would like to write about if you're angry at us that's fine at least you are angry at least you have a, a yeah. response and that and and he was willing to share that and i you know he was almost my media good guy uh uh, for my vote last year just because of how wonderful he was in the few media appearances we got him he's a, he's a wonderful guy i i, I will say i i'm particularly frustrated by coach speak and, and one of the things I like to do is ask an actual football question. Actual football questions are not always welcome. You know, yep. if, if you want, you want to ask about, you know, we saw the dime defense very effective in this game. Can you talk about that a little bit? They, they won't necessarily want to talk about that. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, if you, if you're at camp or you look, look at the transcripts online or you watch the actual interviews, you'll see what are a, a fair number of, of highly general questions where reporters seem to be looking for some catchphrase they can, they can latch onto. I remember when they talked about Chuck Clark and, and the green dot, they talked about him being um, <laughs> bold, brief and something else, but it was alliteration was being used. Yeah. And that's enough of a signal to know that Harbaugh is not just using coach speak in this. He's, he's, he really believes this. And that's, that's mm-hmm. something if he talks about, yeah, he's he's helped us. He's been on the field. He's done this. I mean, you just know you're getting crap. If if he's, uh-huh. if you if you're talking about injuries anytime, you know he's talking about that. I think yep. somebody could really sit down and do between the lines, and it's like analyzing the interviews for what's not being said. <laughs> and I think it'd be I, seriously. I think it'd be a great uh, yeah. uh, thing to do. And there are a lot of people who are who are are skilled at that. 
But, you know, in some ways it takes an analyst to do it because you know what's crap and what's not when he's talking about the actual play on the field. In some ways you want to have a person really skilled in tells like a poker player or something yeah. might be might be good at, at at picking up on little things he didn't really be like he touched his face high up now you know what that means that's a lie yeah oh so. that'd be great oh that'd be fantastic oh yes it's i i don't think it'd be entirely welcome but it would be an interesting kind of a yeah kind of yeah that like that's something like, i'd be like i definitely know when things are being said that are being said or when they are not being said from commentary yep. like there's been comments i'm like Oh, like walking back from a media, you know, uh, event. And I'm like, he said that without saying it. And, yep. uh, and, and other people are like, yeah. And I'm like, I'd love to say that, but like, I, I don't want to lose a credential because I'm like, Oh, uh-huh. this was a shot at blank about blank. Like I, that's, that's just dangerous territory to get in. So you have to be connected without being connected or you have to just do it purely from a video standpoint. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting <laughs> uh, tightrope you're trying to balance there, obviously, and and oh, yeah. uh, there are there are additional freedoms that that come with just being a, a writer analyst. That said, uh, uh, you know that access is really nice to have. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about what a great season would be for Broderick Washington. Uh, more pass rush snaps. Um, maybe that's better for him. But, uh, you know, more opportunity, you got to replace Calais Campbell and, you know, nearly 400 pass rush snaps. That's going to be spread about with all of these guys. uh, But Washington's going to be one of them. I think sack numbers going up or just total pressures, you know, not necessarily. I'd like to see him finish more Uh, three and a half sacks to four and a half, I think would be a great year for him because he's going to be lower on this on this uh, unit just by way of, of getting Pierce back wanting to get more snaps out of Jones, wanting to more specialize Matabike for the pass rush role as the uh, as a defensive lineman. And now with a full array of outside linebackers, you know, you're not just contesting pass rush snaps with with the, the, the respective defensive linemen. You also have to do so with a full array of, of linebackers that are uh, Ravens are going to want to mix and match and get on the field. And also they love to include, you know, Patrick Queen and on blitzing uh, mm-hmm. opportunities. So they want to have him as pass rushers and, and and they like to be versatile in that regard. So overall, I think if he could, if he could just finish the ones that he does have the opportunities at uh, with more effectiveness, you know, three and a half snap sacks, I'd be if three and a half to four and a half, I think would be great. Um, his run defense, uh, like you said, is already rather s- uh, strong. And uh, continuing in that, maybe even bolstering what he had. I'm, I'm, I've lowered mine a little bit just because of how much you, you, you pointed out, just how much he's developed, and uh, and and maybe not putting the bar uh, too exceptionally high um, is is kind of where uh, I I see him as is having a a better year. All right, I had a little bit of difference here. I think if a good season is at 43% of snaps, I'm going to put a great season is he's pushing his way to be on the field and he gets to 50%. I think the way that happens is in some of the ways you're talking about, by getting those marginal snaps will have to be largely higher probability of passing down snaps that should give him some ability to get involved there. And I want to see if he's on those field for those snaps, part of what I want to see in a great season is a higher level of pass rush contribution. I don't think he can get more tipped passes. In fact, yeah, I think he's going to lose ground there. So uh, because he's you know obviously coming from a very high level, but 
uh, want him to get more pressures that lead to second man opportunities. So get the first pressure fairly quickly to compress the pocket, make the quarterback bring the ball down, and all of a sudden one of the outside linebackers or Patrick Queen is there, and and the thing is finished. Uh, the Ravens thrive off this second man pressure. They've done very well with it, and it's an area where I think that that Williams has, I'm sorry, Washington has the potential to to uh, contribute greatly to it. So uh, I, I I'm not I don't think he really has to be the finisher in my own way. He's the finisher when he tips a pass, and mm-hmm. and he can be the finisher when he gets a quarterback hit or or, or a sack. But I'm not going to put some sort of arbitrary limit and say that he needs to get to X or Y in those cases. I just want to see more aggregate pass rush contribution. I think that's reasonable enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. Kyle, just great talking football with you. We've let this go really long. These, these episodes are taking about 50 minutes. But whenever you and I talk football, there's always a great set of tangential side stories. And I love hearing this. That's why I like, like doing shows with you as, as often as we're able to. Uh, but anyway, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find uh, me on on Twitter if that's still around in a month uh, <laughs> at Kyle P Barber. I don't know what's going on. There's now threads. Now there's yes. now blue sky. We'll see what happens with all this. But if if Twitter's still alive in a month, uh, that's where you'll find me. Um, you can find my work and the work of my wonderful staffs over at BaltimoreBeatdown.com. And then I also do some freelance work for BaltimoreRavens.com. Under their Late for Work section, I publish every Monday edition of Late for Work, so you can check that out as well. All right, very cool. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, lots of opportunities still in July. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get right back to you. Tell me what your idea is in a few words, and I'll uh, uh, if there's a kernel of an idea there, we'll talk through it and try and make a show out of it. Uh, always very interested in hearing from new fans, meeting new people. Kyle, thanks again for coming on. Happy to be here. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.